the title for today's message is Four Words with Four Words. Four Words with Four Words. After World War II, Germany was actually split into four allied occupation zones. The eastern part of the country went to the Soviet Union. How many were alive to remember all this in real life? Amen. Praise God. All right. And those of us, I watched on the History Channel. Western side of it went to the U.S., Britain, and actually later France. Now, what we have here, what's most famous, is the city of Berlin. Right, we have the Berlin Wall. And it was divided in half with that Berlin Wall. And this wall stood actually from 1961 to 1989. Not gonna lie, I knew it went down in 89, had no idea when it went up. Again, I wasn't alive yet. Now over that time, at least 170 people were killed in their effort to cross the Berlin Wall. In 1963, President John F. Kennedy tried to defeat this divide with these four words. I am a Berliner. The crowd erupted. They were so excited. But it seemed like a moment of hope, and yet nothing actually really happened. In fact, it was many, many decades later that something finally happened. Then you have the great Ronald Reagan. I had some fun this week YouTubing some of his old speeches. This, this guy was the brilliant communicator. In 1987, he traveled to Berlin and delivered a speech there. And many point this as the beginning of the end. Many say it was this moment that the Berlin Wall fell. And they're able to move forward because of these four words. You guys remember it? Tear down this wall. What's so fun, as I was telling my grandma yesterday that I was opening up with this story, and she said, I have a piece of the Berlin Wall. And she didn't give it to me. Praise God. I was going to be like, and here it is. But it's not there. She don't trust me. It's all right. But in many ways, what we're going to look at in today's passage, East and West Berlin illustrate our present reality between man and woman. We were designed, our creator designed us to live together in harmony. We were never meant to be split apart. But yet it is our reality. Many of us are separated in this wall of hostility that is between us, between man and woman. And so when we go to this type of series we're in about marriage and relationships, this type of thing is a reality where we feel like there is a wall. And many of us feel like there's no hope to dismantle this wall. So I hope today for us to study scriptures together, for us to see that there actually is hope. And I believe we can move forwards with four words. Not tear down this wall. That will not get us very far. But I'll be there. I believe there are four biblical words we have here. Many, uh, three of them are in this passage. But I actually want to start by looking at one all the way in the book of Genesis. But would you pray with me? Father God, we're so grateful for your mercy. We're so grateful for your grace. God, I know that this type of message today can be encouraging for some and discouraging for many others. God, we acknowledge there are people here who, number one, don't want to be married ever. And that's okay, because God, um, I think the church has done a bad job of making it seem like marriage is the ultimate. God, I also pray for those who have already been through divorce and through abuse and through all these things. God, I pray that they would know that we're extending grace upon grace to them. We're so grateful, God, that you have an answer for us. And those of us who are just getting started, God, I pray that our marriages would flourish. God, I pray that we become great men and women of God. And 
continuing to show the world what this type of relationship can look like and how it points ultimately to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says, amen. Amen. I believe we can move four words with these four words. Come on, I'm excited about that. Now, the first word we have is actually helper. Look at uh, chapter 5, verse 22. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, don't worry. We're going to get to the submit one, but just hold on. Okay, we're going to get there. It's going to be great. I've been nervous all week about it, but we're going to get there. Okay, so actually, I would love for you to open your Bibles too, and it could be your phone or whatever, or even just on the screen. Genesis chapter 2. What we have to recognize here, it says, uh, wives, submit to your husbands. We have to first understand the definition of wife. And really, we many forget that it was actually God who ordained marriage. And it's helpful for, for us to look at Genesis 2 when God first talked about marriage. And I think there is one word here that really sticks out to many of us. And I think a lot of us have misinterpreted it. Are we good this morning? We happy? Yes. Yeah, thank you, Brianna. I appreciate you. Verse 18 of chapter 2 in the book of Genesis. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. The men say amen, right? I will make a helper corresponding to him. Underline those two words, helper corresponding. Verse 22, then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man and into a woman and brought her to the man. I love that. I was reading a commentator this week and, and they say men, um, said to the ladies, ladies, when the men try to remind you, hey, you were taken from my rib just remind the man, but you were taken from dust. So which one is better here, right? Praise God. Verse 23, and the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. And I have to do the terrible pastoral joke is because Adam saw her and said, whoa, man. And that was her name. Verse 24, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. Don't worry, we won't jump into that one too much. But one word I want us to look at here, for us to, be, to move forwards, we have to analyze these four words. And the first one on your notes is this word, helper. This is, if we're going to be honest, a lot of you ladies are in here thinking, God, could there have been any other description? The first time we talk about the lady, it's helper? Helper, this Hebrew word is actually ezer. Which maybe helper sounds better than that. <laughs> Amen. Gotta love Hebrew. But we have to understand that we actually really misdefine. Our culture has not done a great job. I think when we think of helper, it's something that the biblical text never intended. One way to describe helper is one who does for us that we could never do ourselves. Someone who has these assets that no matter how hard we try, we can't do what that other person can do. Another quick word to explain it is partner. Another way to describe it again is an indispensable companion. Again, indispensable companion. For our culture today, we kind of think of it as like an elf, right? Like, oh, you're, like, you're my little helper. By the way, I hope you guys just receive this and don't be mean to me for the next two years while I remember this. I hate being called buddy. Like to me, I'd be upset if this passage said, and, and uh, we need to make you a buddy. Like I, to me, that's like a three-year-old kid or a dog. Okay. So don't call me buddy. Amen. Praise God. Now the destructive narrative though, is when we see this as helper, we think, oh yeah, women is nothing without a man. 
She's just the helper. She doesn't really have an identity by herself. She's kind of worthless without the man. That is not what we propagate at all. Even in verse 18, again, it says, The Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper. Look at this word, corresponding to him. Some of your translations might actually have suitable. I'll make a helper suitable to him. This word, again, actually just shows that it's equal in value. I'm going to make someone that's the same value as you. Genesis 1.27 affirms, it says, let us make man uh, in our own image. He created them in the image of God. He created them male and female. So males and female are both created uniquely, but they're all, they're both made in the image of God. They both have equal value, equal dignity. And so I think the church as a whole is kind of always like, we kind of get that image of like, oh, like the women is lesser. That is absolutely not reality here. Equal worth, equal value. We'll look at later. That doesn't mean equal roles. They are different. Matthew Henry, he's a commentator. He has this quote. I'll put it up on the screen. I think it's helpful. It says, the woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. Aww, right? Hallmark. Like, that should have been the Valentine's card this year, right? Ah, I missed it. This is what we believe is the picture of a marriage. First of all, we have to understand the woman. Ladies, this is for you today. Men, that means we have to really pay attention, though, because understand who the ladies are in our life. But she is a, the first word God describes is a helper. And a point I want to make right away, helper doesn't mean that they don't have their own value, their own worth, their own purpose. Another thing that we have to remember is we think a helper is helpless which is kind of ironic, but we think, oh, you're a helper. You don't really have your own power. You're just there as a boost. Well, every other time uh, in the Bible that this word helper is used, it's used in this passage to refer to a woman, but every other passage, it actually refers to God himself. For example, Psalm 70 verse 5 says, God, you are my helper and my deliverer. Psalm 121, I look my eyes into the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven. You thought that was a casting crown song? Guys, that is in the book of Psalms, y'all. I know you. some of you, I'm doing my eyes into the Or I messed up that song, but it's actually from the Bible. I remember the day when I put those two things together. I was like, wow, casting crowns, you're not brilliant. You're just copying scripture. John 14, 16. You talks about the Holy Spirit. It says, I will give you another helper, the Holy Spirit. Friends, can we just admit right away, a helper is very powerful. A helper, God himself, Jesus, decided to call the Spirit. All sorts of words. He decided to name the Holy Spirit. A, a way to describe him is helper. So ladies, when you see the biblical text and you hear that you're named a helper, do not be discouraged. God himself was more than happy to be called a helper. The Holy Spirit has so much power. Amen. It's actually, we believe in the Gospels, Jesus' earthly ministry was only possible because he was empowered by the helper, the Holy Spirit. We believe Jesus rose from the grave, read Romans 8, because of the helper, the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe, you and I today, the only reason we can be changed and or transformed is because of the helper, the power of the Holy Spirit. So let us, right away, you ladies, you are called a helper, and that is a beautiful, powerful thing. In fact, I was studying it this week, and I was like, God, how come I'm not called a helper? You know, like this, how come they get this, right? Helper is a beautiful description of the ladies in the room, okay? I think that's really helpful for us to see. Let's go back into, again, that's the first word. I believe that we can move forwards with these four words. 
And the first one, again, was helper. But let's look at the second one I want us to zero in on, and it's in verse 33. Verse 33, it says, To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself. We'll get at that next week, guys. Husbands, you just wait. You better come next week. Don't be as... Yeah. Okay. And the wife is to respect her husband. Respect. Okay? Underline that word, respect. Now, don't worry to be like, Trey, you skip submit in verse 22. I'm going to that next. Okay? I just need you to like me a little bit more before we go there. Amen? Okay. So... Paul summarizes, so he, he's talking about all this, 22 through, through 32. Here's what marriage is. Here's what the lady does. Here's, here's what the man does. And then verse 33, he's like, okay, to sum all this up, in other words, man, love wife, wife, respect, husband. I would really suggest reading that book, Love and Respect. Um, really good book. I never remember the author's name because it's like a crazy one. Okay, but let's look at this word, respect. One way to define it, a commentator put, to have a profound measure of honor and reverence. To respect your husband, you must have a profound measure of honor and reverence. The question we have to ask ourselves is why is this so hard to accept? Why, many of you, you love your husband, but it's like, I have to respect him? Why? That seems hard. And the men are like really discouraged, right? Genesis 3.16, let's jump over to Genesis again one more time, actually explains why, ladies, this is so hard for you to respect men. I could go on about how some men, not all men, some men are great men of God, other men are not. And so we give you a lot of reasons not to respect us. Don't worry, we're going to talk about that with the men next week. Just want to preface that. So that is one reason. Another reason, though, is the curse of the fall. Genesis 3.16, Adam and Eve, they ate of the fruit, right? Now we have sin and destruction in this world. There's brokenness. There is death. All this stuff was introduced. And so now God starts to say, okay, because of the fall, here's some of the curses. In verse 16, he aims at the woman. It says, okay, he says to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. Eve, come on, right? Man, you ladies are so powerful. I can never do that. Okay, uh, verse 16, I will intensify your labor pains, so blame sin. Um, you will bear children with painful effort, and it is effort. Amen, praise God. Any ladies who had babies? Okay, um, I used to, I always made the joke of like, yeah, we're pregnant. She's like, no, I'm pregnant. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. Okay, now, your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. Many of us miss this because this word desire in the English can mean a million things, right? And so in the Hebrew word, this word desire actually means an inclination to devour. So, so you will desire, your desire will be for your husband. You will want to devour him. You will want to usurp him. It's going to be hard for you to go under his leadership. This is just what's natural with the fall. Again, we'll look at next week with men, um, things like, like work is much more difficult and all sorts of things because of the curse with men. So be like, I just don't want you to be like, man, all you did talk about the ladies. I know, because that's what we're looking at. Next week, come, and you'll be like, yeah, keep yelling at the men. That'll be next week, okay? So praise God. Okay, now, we have to understand, because Genesis 3.16, I think there is a lot of us who think, oh, like this is such a 20... First century problem like feminism and, and men, you know, and women not having respect for men. This has always been a problem, okay? It, since the fall, this is just a part of the curse. And we have to recognize that. Um, and a lot of us, I don't know, there's just this narrative out there that America is so bad because we're finally at this point. No, um, it happens in every single generation. I think it's helpful for us to acknowledge that. In fact, what we have to remember here in Ephesians chapter 5, 
when Paul is talking about how wives need to respect their husbands, he is speaking to a culture that was actually feminism was on the rise. Now, the desire was stirring in Ephesus uh, during this time um, to do this, this, this desire to usurp. Is, uh, some quick context to Ephesus. Ephesus was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. So think modern day Chicago, which I really want to go there one day. Uh, not in the winter though, amen. I just can't take the snow. Now, here in Ephesus, we have to also remember that it was actually dominated by the worship of the female goddess Artemis. And so, they're, they're, the whole city was built around actually a woman and the power of the woman. Now, the Greco-Roman society was rotting from the inside out. And so during this time, they believed women had one job, and it was to raise their, look at this, legitimate children. Men were allowed to have, quote-unquote, fun with whomever they wanted, but it, they chose a wife to, to raise their legitimate children. And they could have children with other people and have fun with other, other ladies, but the wife was the one who was to raise this because they knew, okay, this was helpful for the Roman Empire to continue. You have to raise up these great children. That's actually really sad. I even learned this week. Breaks my heart as a father of three girls, no boys. Um, in most societies throughout the centuries and many different civilizations, it was kind of common that you only had one daughter in every family. Now, it's not because it was just happened that way and everybody just had a lot of boys. The moment they found out it was a girl, they would kill the baby. And they believe the only way society is to advance, which is wrong, right? The only way society is to advance is we have a lot more men than we do women. And so I love that the Bible, we have to remember, this was written during this time. And the Bible has a much elevated view of women than many, many different civilizations throughout all the centuries. But with this, we have to keep all that in mind. And Ephesus was tired of that. Ephesus was tired of this Greco-Roman society making it all about men and killing female babies, which were like, okay, we're kind of for that, of course. We don't want to kill female babies, any kind of abortion at all. But what you have here is Artemis. We have to remember, she is a goddess of childbearing and hunting. What a cool combo. I mean, we don't believe in her, trust me, okay? But that's kind of neat, you know? Like, I don't know. I just, anyways, I was thinking of like a picture of like a pregnant lady like bow hunting. That's like cool. Man. Okay. So she's the goddess of this. So this is what the women would do. The women would say, you know what? We're tired of society's rules. In fact, we follow Artemis. So guess what? We're going to go hunting. And so they would be the ones that would kill the wild hogs. It was actually shown in, in different history books. They would eat it and be like, no, man, you go take care of yourself. Yo, you, you think you're, you, know, you can do it all. I, I'm the hunter here, and I'm going to eat. You know what I'm saying? And, and, so, and so there was this dissension there. Another thing that the ladies in Ephesus started doing um, is very common in Greco-Roman society. Uh, divorce was still looked down upon, but if there was a divorce, it would have to be the man. The man initiates the divorce. Well, there was an uprising here in Ephesus during this time, Paul writing this letter, where the women were the ones beginning to initiate divorce. This was never heard of. Remember all that context. And so Paul here in Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, he's saying men have failed in this culture. Look, men, you need to love your wife. And this is something they never heard before. You have to love your wife so much. You have to be willing to die for her. You have to absolutely sacrifice for her. They've never heard of this. This doesn't make any sense. So the men were super offended by this letter. But the women, too. He was saying at the same time, though, although the men aren't doing what they're called to do, I'm calling them to be the right way. But for you women, of course, you also need to respect. 
You, we both need to be in this. And isn't that so true in marriage? We always think if just the other fixes themselves, then I will fix. And that never works. Anytime a marriage says, I will change once she changes, that marriage will never change and it only gets worse. So the world, this is very common, while the world says revolt, hey women, revolt, the word still says respect. The temptation is to revolt against men. And let me be clear, some men in here are worthy of not being revolted against. But there are a lot of men in our culture that are, you know, yeah, they kind of don't deserve the respect. But you're still called to respect nonetheless. And we'll talk about that more. So there's all sorts of ways. What does respect look like? It actually means being wise about sarcasm. Understand, don't be sarcastic about your husband all the time. I love sarcasm. I love the office, but tasteful sarcasm, all right? Um, dissension does nothing to build up your marriage. Um, and, and so a lot of things with this revolt, what the ladies were doing here, doing things that felt good, jabs at their husbands today, but brought destruction to their marriage tomorrow. What is Paul, why is Paul saying respect? Here, here, we say this a lot at our church. And feel free to write this down. You rob your soul when you despise your role. You rob your soul when you despise your role. See, respect is a part of the role that the women was given at the very beginning of Genesis. Right? Submit to his authority, which we're about to look at. But men have the role of We'll talk about it again in the next point. But we are called to sacrifice and lead and take responsibility. But when ladies or men don't like that, it brings so much dissension. We believe, this is like a lot of the root of sin. You rob your soul when you despise your role. God made you in a certain gender for a purpose. And if you're struggling with that reality, we would love to walk alongside of you. We're not here to yell at you. We're not here to demean you by any means. We understand because of the fall, this is a part of the deals. We, we have to deal with this. Some of us struggle with this. And it's okay to admit that you struggle with it. We want to walk alongside of you. This isn't a place to be perfect. This isn't a place to just you fully love your gender and you love the roles God has given you. No. Sin makes it all sorts of different. The way you were raised, there's all sorts of things being mixed in here. So we want to extend grace upon grace and walk that journey with you. I believe we can move forwards with four words. What was the first one? Helper. Second one, respect. Here's the third one y'all been waiting for. Submit. And the ladies are like, we weren't waiting for it. Let's just move forward, right? Let's read verse 21 of Ephesians chapter 5. It says, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. A lot of us miss this. See, actually, in the Greek, verse 21 is the same sentence as verse 22. Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ as the church as a whole. We're all submitting. It's not just a lady's job. We're all submitting to each other by the power of the Spirit. We're respecting. We're, we're loving. We're caring for each other. And then it says, okay, now wives... What's actually cool in the Greek, it says, wives to your husbands. He's implying what he already said in verse 21, submit. It's the same word. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit their husbands in everything. This is probably one of the most upsetting words in our culture. Would you agree? Like submit. Like, come on, this is ancient. I was listening to a podcast yesterday by a non-believer, and they're like, this is one of the most ancient things I've ever heard of. We need some sort of updated thing. Well, we don't believe that. We believe it's still just as relevant to our culture today. Now, before we even dive into what this means for the lady, I want to encourage you with this. 
There's not a single person in history that submitted more than Jesus did. Submission equals strength. Jesus constantly submitted. Uh, Frank Laubach, he actually notes the Apostle John, the book of John. There are, it indicates, Jesus submitted to God's orders 47 times, just in the book of John. We see it ultimately like in the garden, right? Not my will, but your will be done. Does this mean Jesus isn't powerful? He's the one who saved us, right? There's nothing without him. But Jesus understood order and he understood his role and he understood that the father was the one that he was to submit to. You cannot tell me that Jesus isn't powerful. So what is submission? Submission, the Greek word is hupotasso. Hupotasso, okay. Now, what does this mean? It means to place oneself in the watchful care of another. I'll say it again in case you're taking notes. What does submission mean? It's to place oneself in the watchful care of another. Here's the best way to describe it. Me and my wife, we fight only one place. I think, right, babe? Is there another place? Okay, mainly this place when I'm driving. When we drive, it's like, Lord, we need help. We need your grace. We need your mercy. We need, and also, God, can you give me better driving skills? Because I just, uh, the GPS map thing, whatever. So I like imply to her, I'm like, I'm just like, I wonder where this is. And by me just saying, I wonder, that means get out your Google map and punch in the place and you tell me where it is, okay? Because I don't know, this is all me. I understand that, but this is a reality of what we fight as. But when we're looking at the word submit, I actually think that one of the greatest ways to explain what that means is this illustration of driving. It does bother me a little bit, but my wife does not like driving. Like, I am the driver. And it is kind of cultural, right? Like, I do kind of get, and I'm gonna get in trouble here, but when I see like the lady always driving, like the wife is always driving, I'm like, what's happening there? You know, I don't know, it's a cultural thing, I need to stop. But like I was raised like, if you're the man, you're the one driving. So, so it's kind of, it just falls in the suit. Although when we're going to California, I'm like, Jordan, can you please like driving for like just these six hours, right? So, um, and then we'll go back to it where I'm driving. I also wish that she would drive all the way up to the point till we hit traffic in LA, then we like magically just change position because I just like, I love in a weird way, I like, swerving through. Anyways, I need to get moving on to the point. But here's the reality. Because I'm the driver, I'm the head of this car. And my wife is responsive. She's helping me drive most of the time. I'm like getting the GPS out and helping me and actually most of the time helping me stay awake. Because we do like those Disneyland days where we don't want to pay for a hotel. So like I'm driving through the night and I'm like this and she's like, you still up? Yeah, thanks honey. You know, like that kind of thing. So that's what we're doing. All right. Now, when my wife jumps into the car, she is submitting to me an understanding that I am trusting you and all my children with your driving, which is amazing, right? And the thing is, I am responsible for everyone in the car. If I get in an accident, farmer's insurance won't be like, I'll be like, hey, I know, but like Jordan, like she like wasn't keeping me up. So like, it's kind of like her fault. Oh yeah, let's sue her, right? No, no, that's not what it is. Man, you were in charge. You were at the wheel. If the cop pulls me over for speeding, as, much, as hard as I'll try to say, it was my wife, she was speeding. <laughs> Real funny, it was you. You actually have that in the Old Testament. When you were the head of the tribes, it didn't actually mean you were the judge. It didn't mean you were the king. It just meant if something went wrong, it was your fault. The husband, that's our job. We're the ones who get the tickets, okay? That, like, you're like, what's the takeaway? We just get all the tickets. I don't know what that means, right? The women, they, they have just as, I mean, they have so much input and so many great things. But at the end of the day, it's designed where the husband takes responsibility. 
But here's the, oh man, it's another one. C.S. Lewis, any C.S. Lewis fans? Anybody? He says it's like a dance. Now, when you're dancing, one has to be responsible for leading, and the other person is responsive. One's responsible, and the other is responsive. I'm a Baptist. I've never danced in my life. But what I hear is a joke, y'all, okay? Although at prom, I was always like, let's go do something else, okay? Like, let's go home. I'm, I'm uncomfortable here. Now, um, so when you're dancing, though, one has to take the lead. If, if both are trying to lead, it's clunky, right? And the other thing is you always have to go opposite. So, like, if we're both, and, like, we would step on each other. If we have the same exact, so it's helpful that we're different, right? And that, because we're different, I don't know, I'm done dancing. I just feel so uncomfortable, right? And so one is responsible, one is responsive. Actually pointing to how God loves us. When we love God only because he first loved us. Men, we have that responsibility to be the one that initiates and leads and is responsible, but the lady has to be just following suit. Bringing her own uniqueness, but she is submitting to this order. Now this is the point you have to write down. It's not on the screen, but you have to write this down. Submitting to order isn't saluting to orders. This is why we misunderstand submit. We think submission means saluting. Not it. Submitting to order isn't saluting to orders. When I married my wife, it was not her saying, you must submit to all these rules and commands that I have for this household. I don't think that marriage works very well. What you're doing is you're submitting to the man who is dying to himself. She is entrusting me as I am putting my neck out on the line for her. That is what marriage is supposed to look like. I don't think Jesus wants me to yell orders at my wife. I just don't see that in the scriptures. I don't think it's, hey, salute, I walked in the room. You know, I just don't think that's what God has called us to do at all. Rowdy is my wife is brilliant in many ways. She's better than me in many different things. And me as a man, I have to not only be okay with that, but applaud that. And as a leader, as the household, I am excited and I do everything I can to encourage her and lift her up even more. She inspires me. She changes my life every week, right? She does so much. And I, that doesn't mean though that she is not submitting to me. It is this dance. I got one more word though, okay? We can move forwards with these Forward. Brianna, I'm always relying on you. We can move forwards with these four words. Look at verse 25. We've got three words down. And let me just stop the timeout. This is what we all focus on and we're done. We think we go home. We talked about respect. We talked about submit. A lot of people don't bring up helper, so you're welcome. And then it's like, okay, we're good. This next word is most important. It's not most important, but it helps kind of put it all together. Verse 25. Oh, man. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in, underline this word, splendor, without spot or, the lady say amen, or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. The application here is if your wife asks for some sort of skin product, you have to buy it. No, no, okay, so... We have to see this word splendor. This is what we miss all the time. Splendor here is a feminine word for glorious and wonderful. Without spot or even a wrinkle. Men, it's our job to present our wives in splendor. When we sign up for marriage, a lot of us think it's so that the wife can present us in splendor, but that's, that's not it. 
Marriage is actually about making a bigger deal about her. We'll look at that even more next week, but I've actually found that I have the most joy in my life when I am rallying around my wife's vision and goals that she has for her life, and I use any kind of skill, any kind of encouragement, compliment to help her and encourage her and push her forward. It is my job that my wife doesn't have any wrinkles, spiritually. Um, They say it's good to have wrinkles. It means you smile a lot, right? You know, it is my job to do that. As, as men, this is what we're called to do. We forget this. Uh, yeah, we have enough time. Proverbs 31. You ever heard of that one? I know you're waiting for this. Proverbs 31, verse 10. It should be on the screen. Um, oh, man, this, this is what we're called to do. I just lost my... Oh, I'm in Psalms. I'm like, this doesn't look like the passage I was going to read. Well, there's a difference there, Trey, between Psalm and Proverbs. Okay, Proverbs 31. You guys all got the necklace, right? But look at this, verse 10. Who can find a wife of noble character? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will not lack anything good. She rewards him with good, not evil, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with willing hands. She has like her own little shop on the side. She is like the merchant ships, bringing her food from far away. She's good at the farmer's market. She rises while it's still night and provides food for her household and portions for her female servant. She evaluates a field and buys it. She's in real estate. She plants a vineyard with her earnings. Farmer's market yet again. She draws on her strength and reveals that her arms are strong. Arm wrestling champ, right? She sees that her profits are good. Balling on a budget, right? And her lamp never goes out at night. She extends her hands to the spinning staff and her hands hold the spindle. I don't even know what that means. Her hands, I'm just kidding. I just don't knit or anything. Her hands reach out to the poor. She extends her hands to the needy. She's on a nonprofit board. She is not afraid for her household when it snows, for all in her household are doubly clothed. She makes her own bed coverings. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. I imagine she has her own Etsy store. Her husband is known at the city gates where he sits among the elders of the land. She makes and sells linen garments. There's the Etsy store again. She delivers belts to the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing, and she can laugh at the time to come. She has a good sense of humor. She likes the office. Her mouth speaks wisdom and loving instruction is on her tongue. She's smart. She's a teacher. She watches over activities of her household and is never idle. She ain't lazy. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also praises her. Many women have done noble deeds, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. Give her the reward of her labor and let her works praise her at the city gates. Men, this is the type of women we need to do everything possible to lift them up and allow them to do these things. See, I believe, wives, you won't have a problem in respecting and submitting if we as husbands are the ones helping present you in splendor. We have to remember before I'm done, Ephesians is in the context of marriage. So this doesn't mean, man, you have authority over every female in your life. This is about the beauty of what happens within the marriage. But this is a captivating vision. And I think this world, we lament about how the marriages are going haywire, only 50% success, and we're just, we're really trying to pay close attention to the politics of today. Let me tell you, I believe the biggest way we can make a difference in our city and around the world is we have our marriages reflect that of the scriptures. 
where we don't fit those stereotypes where it's like men do it all, they lead from the front. No, we are side by side and we are empowering women. Because we are the head, men, you and I, we move forward with these four words. Husbands, love your wives. We have a better perspective. I believe we can move forwards with these four words, understanding and redeeming what helper means, what respect means, what submit means, and what splendor means. But the greatest hope we have is every single one of us, male and female, can move forwards because of these four words. Christ loved the church. It is because of his love that empowers us to walk in this relationship with joy and do this little dance with each other. And we continue, both of us together, look more and more like King Jesus and leading more and more people in our city to him.